Hey Grace, it is so good to be with you on this Easter Sunday of 2020. I want you to know that we love you, and even though we cannot gather together in person today, you matter to us. And because you matter to us, we are going to do everything we can to celebrate Easter with you in a way that helps us to realize that it is unique and special and that we have had something offered to us in the resurrection of Jesus that changes everything. Now, as we do every year on Easter, we will say this together. He is risen. And I'm going to ask for you to reply. He is risen indeed. And the way that I would like for you to reply today is by commenting or by having a video of your family that you post saying that he is risen indeed. So let's try that together. He is risen And you at home, he is risen indeed. Again, we're looking at the idea of change today. That's the big theme that we're going to look at as a church family on this Easter Sunday. If you're a guest with us, we want you to know that we believe the Jesus who we worship, the Jesus who came, gave his life, died in our place, and walked out of the grave days later, that he offers change for you, that he offers hope for you, that Jesus changes things. We're living in a pretty weird world when we consider change because it doesn't seem like much is changing. It seems as if every day is Monday. It reminds me of the old Bill Murray movie, Groundhog's Day. Everything is the exact same. The only thing that's changing is what we are watching on Netflix. We're not even changing out of our pajama pants. Change is not happening, but the story of Easter is one where we are seeing God offering change. And that change matters. So we're looking together in Acts chapter 4 to get you up to speed with what's taking place in our passage today. I want to recap what happens in Acts chapter 3 because we have this story of the work of God done for us in the person of Jesus as told through the disciples who have experienced His resurrection. The first half of the book of Acts in large part, covers the apostle Peter, the disciple Peter. Afterward, we see a lot of Paul. But in Acts chapter 4, we're looking at the story of Peter, and here's what's happening. In chapter 3, the risen Jesus has healed a man through faith and words of both Peter and, and John. The man had been born lame, was unable to walk, but he gets up and he runs through the temple, sprints through the temple, praising God. And because of his sprint, a crowd of people gather together around Peter and John, and Peter preaches a sermon to them. And as he preaches, you hear what is taking place. That in the person of Jesus and what he has done, we don't just have a mere religious situation. It has something that to do with someone who has the ability to change the entire world. After that, we pick up in Acts chapter 4 in a place where so many good stories start in jail. Read with me. While they were speaking to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple police, and the Sadducees confronted them because they were annoyed that they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. So they seized them. And they took them into custody until the next day, since it was already evening. But many of those who heard the message believed. And the number of the men came to be about 5,000. So whenever we talk about Peter, one of the first things that comes to mind, if you have any time that you spent in the Bible, is what happened when he preached at Pentecost. 
3,000 people responded in faith to the death and resurrection of Jesus for their sin. When we get to Acts chapter 4, we see that Peter is stacking the numbers. And we see here that we have 5,000 men. So we are unsure as to the amount of women and children, but 5,000 men placed their faith in the person of Jesus Christ. And we see that because of this resurrection that we celebrate every year, not only on Resurrection Sunday... Every Sunday for us as believers in Jesus is Resurrection Sunday. Because of this, Jesus is offering incredible change. The first thing that we see is that He changes history. Jesus has changed all of human history. It does not take a Bible scholar or even a Christian to realize that the story of the person of Jesus changes history. He's changed the way that history is recorded for us. Jesus has changed so many things about religion for us. He's changed the way that we see God. He's changed the way that we can interact with God. Let me just give you some examples of how Jesus has changed history. We have cowards, Peter being one of them, John and the rest of the disciples as well, who are no longer cowards, many dying for their faith. John being sent to an island where he will eventually die of old age for his faith. In the days of Jesus, you would not give credit to the words of a woman unless those words were true. Yet these people listened to the message of these women who experienced the empty tomb. We see that Paul says 500 people were still alive in his day and that you could ask them about the person of Jesus. We see that Jesus uh, has changed the way that we see worship. We see that Jesus' family worshipped him. His mother worshipped Him as God. His brother would eventually worship Him as God. When I was growing up, if a girl broke up with me, my grandmother asked me what I'd done wrong. But these people worshipped Jesus as God. His family did. For 3,000 years, worship was on Saturday and it shifts to Sunday. Have you ever tried to get church people to change anything? Uh, Introduction of the sacraments take place where we see baptism and the Lord's Supper. And then we see this historic, unprecedented, quick spread of a faith. By the year 350 A.D., 51% of the Roman Empire claimed that Jesus Christ was Lord. Jesus changes history. But these men who who are addressing uh, Peter and John, they don't really like change. The Sadducees are mentioned in this passage. They were influential and they were political. And though they claimed religion, their religion was a bit off. They did not believe in any type of resurrection. So hear me, though they would hold fast to the teachings of the Torah, they did not believe in the afterlife. They were bound by the rules of religion, but had no hope because of what they believed. That seems miserable. But how many of us today are living by the rules of a faith and not living as if there's hope because of it. But we see this message of Jesus being preached and proclaimed by Peter and John, later Paul. And we see that as it is preached, that it changes not only history, it begins to change people. You notice in this passage, when we pick up in verse 5, the next day their rulers, elders, and scribes assembled in Jerusalem. And 
Ananias, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and all the members of the high priestly family. After they had Peter and John stand before them, they began to question them, By what power or in what name have you done this? Now, Ananias is the true high priest. The Romans, however, treated his son-in-law, Caiaphas, as if he were the high priest. You have the rest of the Sanhedrin that made decisions, a supreme court, if you will, whenever the people had a disturbance or a disruption. And you have these men, these religious leaders, who the entirety of Judaism would look at for influence and for direction, meeting with these two common fishermen who had left their fishing boats behind to follow the person of Jesus. This is a showdown, a standoff, that when we look at it, it seems as if one is much greater than the other. These highly esteemed religious leaders confronting two common men. Have you ever felt overwhelmed? Have you ever felt out of place? Have you ever felt small in the presence of someone else? Friend, when we look at this story, it's, it's the Yankees versus the Bad News Bears. This is the Super Bowl champion Kansas City Chiefs against the little giants from that movie that your children won't stop watching. This is the Monstars versus the, the Toon Squad without Michael Jordan. This is an overwhelming matchup, but yet Peter stands there. We've been watching The Chosen with our kids. And I don't want to spoil it for you. I just want you to know that there is a scene from this TV show that you can watch where a religious leader is thrown off in the way that these religious leaders are thrown off. He is thrown off because a miracle has taken place and there is no way for him to explain it. We see these men looking, knowing that a lame man is walking, and they have this question, by what power, in whose name did all of this happen? Where did the authority for this man to walk into the temple, much less run into the temple, come from? How did this happen? We see Jesus, through Peter, through John, through His followers in the book of Acts, changing things, making a man who was unable to walk, walk. We see that Jesus would also change His followers. We can look at the story of Christianity. We walk through it and we see how Jesus would continually be about changing the person of Peter. We know that Peter had denied Christ, but on the backside of the resurrection, just days removed from Peter's denial, Peter is seeing this resurrected Jesus and is overwhelmed by Him. We, we see that Peter is, has abandoned Jesus during His crucifixion, yet he is no longer abandoning Him. The message of Jesus is one that is given its strength and boldness for Peter who proclaims it because Jesus is no longer in a grave. He had someone tell him about the tomb, but now Jesus tells, now Peter tells everyone that the tomb of Jesus is empty. Jesus changes his followers. Notice the boldness of the words of Peter as he talks to these men in this situation where he's outgunned, overwhelmed, outmatched. Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and said to them, Rulers of the people and the elders, If we are being examined today about a good deed done to a disabled man, by what means he was healed? That's literally how he frames the whole conversation. You are calling us to account for something good that we've done. 
But if we're going to be confronted for the good that has taken place, I want you to know I don't deserve any of the credit for it. Here's what's happened. Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you healthy. Every miracle that we see in the Scriptures is taking us to the person of Jesus and what He does to offer change. Every follower of Jesus from this place in the New Testament to the people who sit around you possibly right now, if you have placed your faith in Jesus, He has changed you. And if you are spending time to watch this on an Easter Sunday, Maybe you have religion but no hope for the life to come. Jesus offers to change you. Because a Jesus who does not change, who is unable to change, is not the Jesus we see in Scripture. Because Jesus is about making people different, making people whole, making people new. We see that in His life. We see that by His death. We see that in the power of His resurrection. Change comes from the person of Jesus, not symbolically leaving a tomb behind, but physically walking out of it. Russell Moore says this, Sometime before dawn on that Sunday morning, a spike-torn hand twitched. A blood-crusted eyelid opened, and the breath of God came blowing into that cave, and a new creation flashed into reality. Jesus Walking out of the tomb changes everything. Peter's preaching a message as he talks to these people. It's the same message that we see him preach in Acts chapter 3. It's the message we see him preach in Acts chapter 2. Peter has a very simple message. I'll be truthful with you. Preaching is not easy. Uh, You get tongue-tied from time to time. I've been tongue-tied this morning already. You, You say wrong things. You don't mean to say those wrong things, but those wrong things come out. Eye contact is always a little bit nerve-wracking. My early messages would really boil down to some things that weren't always great. But they would always have three points. Every message, regardless of what passage I was preaching, when I was younger, boiled down to this, don't sin, don't sin, here's how. Now, that is a popular type of preaching, and you even hear it today. People still preach, don't sin, don't sin, here's how. The thing is, when that's the method, and that's the message that you're preaching, it's something that may change your behavior, but in no way acknowledges who has changed you. This was not Peter's message regarding Jesus of Nazareth. He's not telling these Sadducees. He's not telling the Sanhedrin. Don't sin, don't sin, here's how. The message that he offers is not about them modifying their behavior, as some say. The message that Peter preaches to these religious leaders is, there is hope. And that hope comes in the one that you crucified. Here is Peter's message that we see over and over. We'll follow the acronym. Keep it simple, sister. Because that's what Peter does. His message is basically this. God sent Jesus. You killed Jesus. God raised Jesus from the dead. Repent. One more time. The message of hope that we celebrate as Christians is this. 
God sent Jesus. Our sin killed Jesus. God raised Jesus from the dead. Repent. This message never stopped changing Peter. And my prayer for all of us who are believers is that message never stops changing you. And if you are not a believer in Jesus, my prayer is that that message will change you for the first time maybe this morning. Throughout the New Testament, we see Peter make mistakes. We see him fail, but we keep seeing him get back up because his, his faith was not in what he had done right, right, but in the righteousness of Jesus because Jesus changes his followers. So if Jesus has changed history and Jesus changes his followers, we simply have to ask, has Jesus changed us? How has Jesus changed us and how is Jesus changing us? What are the things that Jesus offers us today as believers? This Jesus who is breathing, who is at the right hand of God, making petition on our behalf. What is this Jesus doing on our behalf right now to continually make us more like Him? Peter says this in verse 12, just to keep it clear, just to let us know. He says about this Jesus, who God sent, we killed, God raised from the dead, and to whom we need to reply and respond in repentance. There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. Guys, the Sanhedrin didn't want Jesus. He was a problem for them. Simultaneously, while He was a problem for the leadership, He's a problem for you. If you turn from Him, and hope if you turn to Him, if you are turning away from Jesus, that is problematic. But for those of you who would turn to Jesus, there is hope that is there. The, the Bible references a cornerstone. It's from Psalm 118, verse 22. And it talks about God would provide a cornerstone for us. Uh, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Uh, James Montgomery Boyce about this message of Jesus being a divider, being a message of hope and a simultaneously message of one who we would turn from and offer no hope, says this, How the world hates such statements. If you want to be laughed at, scorned, hated, even persecuted, testify to the exclusive claims of Jesus Christ. But this cornerstone that has been laid is one that does exactly that. It exclusively says that Jesus is the only hope of the world. The only hope of the entire world. The only hope of the human race. The only hope of you as you watch this. Jesus is our only hope. Every bit of our defiance against God was crushed by the cornerstone that is Jesus. And because of that, life is now available. So we see that Jesus changes us. And you notice these two primary players in the book of Acts point to that over and over. In Acts chapter 3, we see Peter make some very strong claims about who Jesus is. So we can look at those under the guise of the who. Peter said it this way in Acts 3. Jesus, who healed this man, is the author of life. Jesus was raised from the dead by God. 
Jesus is the fulfillment of 1,500 years of old prophecy. Jesus is waiting in heaven to restore all things to God's original design. And while we wait, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed through Jesus, generally. Jesus is who offers hope. Jesus is this cornerstone. Paul would tell us the how. Paul tells us about this cornerstone that is Jesus as well. He references it in the book of Romans. Later on, he speaks of the exact same Jesus who is the cornerstone. And he says this about Him. That Jesus, in Ephesians chapter 1, He says, Jesus redeems us. Jesus forgives us by the riches of His grace. Jesus gives us wisdom and knowledge. Jesus provides an inheritance for us. Jesus has predestined us. So if you are listening to this... These are either truths that have changed you and you can celebrate, or they are truths you are offered as a non-believer and you can repent and turn to Jesus alone because there's no salvation in no one other than Him. Salvation in no one but Jesus. So, So how do I turn to Jesus? If I'm listening to this message, if I'm hearing this message for the first time, or I'm hearing this message for the first time and it's, for whatever reason, resonating with me, What does it mean for me to turn to Jesus and for Him to redeem me? For Him to forgive me? For Him to give wisdom and knowledge to me? This starts when we follow what Paul has said for us, that we would confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God has raised Him from the dead. When we do those things, we place our faith in Jesus to save us we begin to build our lives on the cornerstone that is Jesus. So if you're watching this morning, I would encourage you to consider this Jesus and to ask Him to do the work of changing you. Jesus, I would encourage you to pray. I am a sinner in need of your healing and your wholeness. I need you to change me by redeeming me and forgiving me, because salvation is found in no one but you. Salvation is found in no one but you. One more time, just so we can walk through that together. Jesus, I am a sinner in need of your healing and your wholeness. I need you to change me by redeeming me and forgiving me of my sin, because salvation is found in no one but you. Friends, if you prayed that, I want you to know that prayers don't make you a Christian. Jesus makes you a Christian. But our hope this morning was just to give you a few handles to know what God has done for you in Jesus based on what His Word teaches and to be changed by the God of the Bible who makes all things new, who offers new creation, who offers new life, who offers redemption, this Jesus One of my favorite theologians is Anglican. His name is N.T. Wright. And he says this, With the resurrection itself, a shockwave has gone through the entire cosmos and the new creation has been born. And Jesus, for you, if you're a believer, is saying, celebrate that new creation. And if you're not a believer in Jesus, what would it mean for this day, this resurrection Sunday of 2020, this very unexpected very peculiar Resurrection Sunday for you to place your faith in Christ for the very first time 
and to trust and repent and believe. I'm going to pray for us. Jesus, thank you that you would allow us to spend time with you. Lord, we thank you that we can celebrate your resurrection. Lord, that your resurrection is not limited in any way, shape, or form by infection, by sickness, by disease. Lord, that your resurrection has overcome all of those things. That there is hope, Jesus, in you. And that hope that we have in you is one that is eternal. We do not have a religious hope just for this life. We have a true hope for this life and the next. Because you have died in our place and you have become our cornerstone for those who trust you. Lord, I pray that we would turn to you, believe in you. And Lord, for those of us who are believers, that we would continually trust you. All of these things we ask in your powerful name, Lord. Each week, our church quotes the Lord's prayer that Jesus gives his disciples to pray together. And I would love for us to do that now from the King James Version of Matthew, chapter 6. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Let's sing and celebrate as God's new creations.